Hello, hello, and hello, everybody! Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, we are so excited for our next speaker. Join us today. We have Kara McCarthy. Join us. Kara, she is a founder and CEO at Better Leave, the lending platform built to support organization and family as they navigate grief and loss. Prior to Better Leave, she co-founded Code Pilots, one of the fastest-growing training and recruitment platform for developers. Code Pilots was acquired by AngelList in 2020, the second-largest talent marketplace in the world. Kara loves to partner with founders and leaders to support complex organizational and high-growth people initiatives for successful outcome, including World First. Acquisition and Retail Me Not (IPO). Kara is also an advisor of Founder Institute, partner at the Fund Austin, and a member of the Forbes HR Council. With that, everybody, I am so beyond excited to welcome Kara on the show with us today. Kara, so excited to have you on the show with us today. Thanks for having me. So let's dive in. You know, share with the, the journey. How does all the magic unfold for you? Yeah.、Uh, well, let me start from the beginning. Yes, please. Born and raised in Southern Indiana,、um, farm town, farmland.、Um, both of my parents、uh, were entrepreneurs,、um, but not in your traditional kind of tech SaaS entrepreneur.、Mm-hmm. Um, my on my father's side,、uh, home and garden turned landscape design shop.、Um, that's multi generational. And on my mom's side, she had several successful companies, including a catering business on the food side, food and beverage,、um, as well as her own、um, tabular filing system company. So again,、oh. services based companies. And so I grew up with these、um, two really bright, smart, caring individuals who were who kind of emulated just the constant grind and perseverance and grit. And I saw that at a very young age. Yeah.、Um, I saw the challenges with that, and I saw the hustle with that. But then I also saw the successes of、um, getting to love what you do every single day. Never, never.、Um, You know,、um, having to work in a day in your life because you love it so much and you're driving it for yourself, right? And、um, so I grew up with that environment. Ended up going to Loyola University for undergrad for business. Knew I wanted to work in business, and that's when I really had my first couple internships within the world of tech,、um, but also within the world of human resources. And so if you kind of mash those two worlds together, it's How can we create、um, companies and programs and、um, high high performing teams with organizations of all sizes? And、uh, I, you know, I started. I got a couple internships at in a bank at a、um, at a、uh, oil and gas company, really old school, stodgy, big、um, brick and mortar, which is great. And then I、um, ended up joining this team that、uh, was called Poggled at the time. It was a startup. It was a team of ten, and I just knew. The small startup was for me. It was insatiable. Everything that we were working on, the buzz, the environment, the collaboration.、Um, it was something where you got to build and execute at the same time,、um, and it just really fed my soul.、Um, to this day, that was kind of the the jumping off point for me to join、um, uh, the tech world. I started my career、uh, running human resources for Travel Zoo in the Midwest. So Travel Zoo is an ecom travel website. 
that was a really interesting experience. It was during the time when Living Social, Groupon, all the coupons were booming. Do you remember back 2010, 11? Yeah. And it was awesome. So Travels at the time was um, developing a local deals division. Um, and being the HR um, leader in the Chicagoland office, I got to hire for that team, scale that team. Um, and it was a couple years later, Retail Me Not in Austin, Texas, asked me to come down and work for them. And I had never been to Texas. Um, and that was 10 years ago. So now um, I'm in Texas and I'm navigating tech. We IPO at Retail Me Not. So it was my first time going through the the transition and the journey of um, a later stage startup, um, IPOing, the buzz, the hype, the excitement, and then the consolidation of costs and the restructuring. I mean, I mean, the things that are pretty typical that come with an IPO. How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was um, it was scary. You know, I was absorbing as much as I can. And I think it really set the understanding that when you are held to the scrutiny of the public market, it you know, it's every everything you do is under a microscope. Every dollar spent pre-IPO. We were spending like thousands of dollars on swag for employees. And I can remember branded jackets and new hire and onboarding. And then post-IPO, um, you know, it was really what are we spending? How are we spending? And what are the returns? Optically, how is this going to look? Um, and I think you're just, you know, it's a, you could even say maybe even a culture shift mm-hmm. of how we operate the business. A really good experience um, that uh, then took me to my next startup, which was a really small real estate, real estate tech startup. So in Austin, Texas, real estate tech and prop tech is huge. Um, you have companies and, and venture groups like Live Oak who invest a ton of real estate, Op City, um, which was co-founded by Ben Rubenstein. You have Homeward. Um, you know, it was a time uh, when we were partnering with Keller Williams to help build their technology platform. Um, and we grew that team from, I think I was maybe the fifth or sixth employee to about 50 in a year. Um, and so that was going from, uh, you know, basically bootstrapping to basically a seed round. Um, and that scale is also very different. You're still morphing the culture. You're building programs and, and policies from the ground up, right? So it's a different experience than supporting a pre-IPO that has, you know, already has yeah. the programs and operations set up. Do you prefer that better? Oh, that's a great question i i like all the stages i'm a, i love building though i mm. would say i love zero to one versus um 10 to 100 i think for me it's um building the people building the group building the processes the policies um getting that early traction proving product market fit um i think some of those milestones and hurdles are um phenomenal um and i've always done it through a people operations lens so this um the company that i'm at now my company it's the first time i've ever in the ceo seat and that's also a very different experience than than being a head of HR or people operations leader, um, because while you're supporting those programs, you're not always executing them in terms of optically or communicating them to the wider group. Um, so asking that question again in a different lens, right, of like HR versus CEO. Um, but I love this. I love the small startup life. So mm-hmm. we um, I did that for a couple of years um, and then was courted away by a fintech company called World First. Um, where I led the America's Operations for People. Um, World First was super interesting. It was a London-based um, fintech company that had global operations all over the world. Um, you know, it was pre, pre-acquisition or pre-exit. It ended up being acquired by um, Ant Financial, um, which is a subsidiary of Alibaba. 
um, and was a really successful exit. And um, but that company had been around for over 10 years. So or maybe even 15 years. Like it was a long maturity process to get to acquisition and and exit, um, which was phenomenal, but also very different. in terms of getting your books ready to be acquired is a very different process than I would say the building phase and also a different process of post IPO. Um, and you know, you, you're trying to keep everyone moving in the same direction. You're trying to keep people motivated, motivated, engaged. Um, and yet you're still, you understand that in the background, there are conversations happening around what the future could look like mm-hmm. and the unknown. And so, um, that company, um, was acquired. And then after that, I did my first startup. What happened there? What inspired you? Yeah, you know, this is a really personal journey of inspiration. So um, my mom was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And my story is not unique in the sense that we all experience life challenges and life events. And we all experience bereavement, grief and loss in our lifetimes at different stages and at different magnitudes. But I think what was unique about my journey is um, she was divorced and I was the chosen sibling to be like, you're going to help her through her end of life. Um, And that experience, um, really partnering with my mom on all of the logistics that needed to happen um, and kind of balancing the logistical and emotional and mental health aspects, um, you know, it completely changed me as a human being. What way? Um, I was very, very career oriented, still am very driven, um, to focus on building and growing and, and learning. Um, but I think I would do it at all costs. And then when my mom passed away, I realized, uh, relationships are so important and, you know, succeeding and growing and building, it's not worth it at all costs. And it, and, and having that balance and, and having priorities of, um, you know, giving back impact, um, you know, making sure you tell people you love them every day. I mean, there's just these little micro, um, uh, I'd say, things that you don't even think about really, um, that it just, it puts it into perspective for you. Yeah. There's a smart people use who said the quality of your life equal to quality of your relationships. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I, I helped her through her, her end of her life and then just needed to take a pause and, Mm -hmm. and look at my life. And reassess and reevaluate. Um, and f- through that reevaluation period, it was taking the leap to do something that had been, I had been wanting to do, which was um, building and co-founding a startup. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And I think it was I think it was that experience that gave me the courage to to take the next step. Tell us about that startup. Codepilot. Codepilot was founded on this idea that we could help match employers and software engineers more intelligently. And we did that through technical coding assessments, but also behavioral adaptability assessments, and which was perfect for me because my background is in HR and people operations and recruiting. And so I kind of understood Mm -hmm. the gaps um, within finding and hiring and and retaining key engineering talent. Um, And so we we built a team. It was a lean, mean team of, of four of us. Um, and over the course of 24 months, um, grew our member base to almost 5,000 engineers, created behavioral-based assessments that we were measuring skills and adaptability, uh, and then ended up selling that business to AngelList, wow. the talent side. And what I think is interesting about that is 
um, the experience of going through an acquisition, and you could go through for all different reasons. There's ones called acquihires. There's um, asset purchases. There's, you know, for tech and IP. There's a lot of different reasons why companies get acquired. I don't think we talk about that very mm-hmm. much. Um, but our IP and our assets were acquired. So the the tech and the proprietary assessments we had built were acquired. And then the team went on to to go do other things at other companies. But I... I was it hard to let go, given that's your kind of first startup that you built from zero to that meaningful asset? Yeah, it, um, you know, there are a lot of sleepless nights. Um, wh- wh- are we making the right decision? I think we were at a crossroads of fundraising mm-hmm. or being acquired. And I think that's also pretty common where, um, you know, fundraising is, is, a, is a full-on process. It's all day, every day. You're dedicating all your time and energy to it. Um, or you're you're being acquired, and that's also a full process. So you, you kind of have to make a decision on what you which avenue you want to go down to, and then you fully commit. Um, and so we just decided instead of fundraising, we were going to take this acquisition and let um, our tools and tech continue to live and exist um, in, in the AngelList um, top platform. What I think is interesting about AngelList as well is that it's it's typically a free tool, right? It's the second largest job marketplace behind LinkedIn. And they were thinking about creating ways to monetize and what the strategies could be. And so I think, you know, CodePilot gave AngelList an opportunity to say, well, if we wanted to monetize for more intelligent um, job placements, this could be a way to do it through technology. And so, um, you know, I think we were, we were happy by the mission and how they were going to use the tools. Um, and so... Yeah, sad, but I think I, I call it my crash course MBA. I learned so much. I learned everything that I wanted to replicate, everything I didn't want to replicate in another startup. It really was an incredible journey, and I'm so grateful for you know Dave Lemfers and, and um, my other co-founder, Caleb Jones, um, for working with me all day, every day. Um, and we were growing together, and we were learning together, and um, yeah, wouldn't change it for the world. Wow. Sounds like a big learning and big re- realization moment. Yeah. What is the biggest learning through that process? Oh, you know, I think, oh man, so many learnings. Um, one of the biggest learnings for me um, is how you're prioritizing your schedule. Mm-hmm. So you're doing all these commercial development activities, you're selling, you're growing the marketing, you're um, growing the brand. Um, and then at the same time, on the back end, you're running sprint meetings and you're working on product and that contact switching between like commercial development, sales and marketing to um, product development and engineering. I mean, it's just you really have to um, focus and prioritize your time mm-hmm. uh, because you can get pulled in a hundred different directions. And I think the other second biggest learning is build features um, that customers request. Don't just build features to build. That's another thing that I learned is understand what um, your customers and your member base is going to want to solve. And if they're asking for it, then build it. But don't arbitrarily build something about testing and validating first. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time you're shifting from the a people leader to a entrepreneurship world purely, right? Yeah, exactly. And the great and the great thing about that experience was I got to use my network and what I knew. So I, I was used to talking with HR leaders and recruiting leaders. So mm-hmm. I, from a commercial development perspective, could go back to them and say, hey, I get it. I've been there. I've scaled teams. I mm-hmm. know how hard it is to find a software engineer. I know the cost if mm-hmm. an engineer turns out, how that's going to impact your business and how hard it is to find. You or your customer. Exactly. And therefore the process is like shifting, but really you're still doing what you love, supporting people. Exactly. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So what's next? Now you have this beautiful asset, has incredible accomplishment, wonderful team. You could totally just chill by an island, whatever you feel like, right? What's next for you? How do you 
think about that choices yeah. at the time. Yeah, you know, I um I, I it's funny when you look at my resume, it's like it's startup and then it's corporate and then it's startup and then it's corporate. But this idea of startup grind is wonderful, but there's also a high risk of startup burnout where you're just grinding and you're constantly burning out and you need to just rest and recharge. Sure, you can do that by going onto an island or um, <laughs> you could go back into a corporate job and you could do what you're really good at. You could excel at the things that you know. You could um, support the business and grow it without the volatility um, of startup. And so I ended up choosing a company that was perfect at the time. It was uh, Cognite, a data operations company, um, had been around several years, headquartered in Europe, um, excuse me, headquartered in Oslo, Norway, not to be confused, Scandinavia. Um, and it was great because they were um, still operating like a startup in the United States. So I got to build and grow, but yet have this parent company in Oslo that kind of had had funding had all of the things that you needed. Um, and so I could really just excel. I could do what I had always done for a decade before. I could grow the team. I could scale people operations processes. I could build total rewards programs. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. I literally start, and then a few months later, the pandemic hit. And what's interesting and, and the impact that it had on people leaders is uh, it forced HR leaders to um, be much more proactive and become culture champions, communication leaders, crisis um, uh, individuals. And it, uh, you know, and I think it it was a time in my career where I was I was able to flex. I was able to learn. I was mm -hmm. able to move into that role uh, because I had done a startup previously and I understood the unknowns of day to day. And I think that made me acutely prepared for supporting the pandemic and the changes that were happening every day and announcements that were coming out and how to prepare for it and how to, you know, prepare my, um, you know, a, a managing director in North America for what he should say. Um, and so that and so the pandemic hit uh, and I was, uh, you know, working in um, corporate America, growing the team. And it, it was an incredible journey, but something was kind of nine on the back of my mind that yeah. whole time. And maybe once you do a startup and maybe once you found once you've, you're a founder, it, maybe it's hard to lose that DNA. Once once you once you once you experience that, it's yeah. insatiable. Maybe maybe it's hard to switch back. The way how I think about this is like if someone who love skydiving, for example, they dive at first and say, wow, this is what freedom feel like. And now in the future, say, well, try the bungee jumping like <laughs> like in the in the you know, in the park, like right next to you. Sure. You're like, this is fun, but. I know what would that tastes like. Mm -hmm. There's so much more. Mm -hmm. And I don't think either one is good or bad. I think yeah, either totally. is a beautiful choices. When it's exactly. right fit, it's perfect. Yeah. In Chinese, we have, we have a word called, it looks like a shoes you pick. Doesn't matter how fancy it look, it's all it matters how you feel inside. Mm -hmm. Is it fit or not, no one else can actually see. All we can see is, wow, beautiful shoes on you. But whether it's comfortable or not, only you know it. Yeah. And I think the startup world just like that. Yeah. You know it when yeah. you found it. Yeah, I love that. And I think uh what what for a lot of founders that go through that journey of founders and then back into corporate and then founding and back into corporate, it's a really incredible skill set, like a chameleon skill set. Yeah. You change your colors depending on what plant. I mean, that is um, you know, as an HR leader, when you look at someone's resume and you see that, I think that is a positive mm. because you can you know that they've been 
pressure tested in high stress situations. They can come out on the other side. They probably have a skill set where they can navigate pretty nimbly through change yeah. management, yeah. which is really, really big. So um, for, for any founders out there that are um, maybe have sold their businesses or um, are have closed their businesses and are going back into corporate life, like they just know that they have a Swiss Army knife skill set and to be confident going mm-hmm. back into corporate America. So on that note, how do you, I mean, for your company, it's a very successful asset. It's very exciting versus a lot of founders maybe do the same path, maybe feel a little bit of failure mm-hmm. or shame or embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it means I'm not good at X, Y, Z, therefore now I choose a different path. What were you going to say to her or him? Yeah, that and that's exactly why I wanted to highlight um, companies are acquired for many different reasons. And most people only see the press release, right? And the press release is two paragraphs of what a media person has written on, like, how glamorous or amazing it is. And um, sometimes acquisitions happen for no cash, and you would never know that. Or sometimes acquisitions happen um, that are acquihires, where they just want to hire the team, but maybe not the company. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons um, and there's some companies that don't get acquired and that's okay to you. I'd say the, the, the takeaway and the journey is the learning and how you're going to apply those into the next scenario and the next situation. One thing that I always felt strongly is, um, you know, returning, um, returning investments back to your shareholders, I think is really important. And if you're going to take venture capital funding, which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, if you're going to take that money, like you have an obligation and responsibility to run your business and test and grow, but also think about the shareholders and um, what those returns are going to be like. Now, an early stage startup, it's a high risk game. Early, you know, angel investors and early stage venture groups know that there's a high likelihood that it's okay. It, you might not return, or um, and so that that's also a part of the risk that uh, early stage investors take. But I would always say, like, if you are a founder that is thinking about closing your business, think about all the options that you have. Can you consolidate with another company potentially that is in your same space? Or can you have a partner maybe that um, was a customer? Can you consolidate and roll? So there's a lot of different options to think about an exit, either traditional or non-exit, before you just kind of wipe your hands and and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for the insight. Sure. So what's next? Now pandemic, hey, now yeah. there's a little voice yeah. behind your head thinking, what's... What's more? Yeah, life? so um, that that kind of life movement experience, that life change when my mom passed away, obviously it changed me as a human being, but it also gave me an understanding of death care in a way that um, was pretty fragmented. And uh, what I was always thinking about in the back of my mind was how can we make grief and loss and death easier and more accessible and more affordable and just better prepared for as a society. So I had always had this like real, I know that's a huge mission, big mission there, but I had always had this nine thing around, man, a lot of people are going through what I'm going through. And it is, it is just so tough and so difficult. And it's difficult because you're organizing all of these fragmented services and if that's healthcare or hospice or an estate attorney or a funeral director I mean it's just um you're you know it's a complex um multi multi-channel multi-layer process and then when you think about all of that happening and then you think about the mental and emotional state of yourself as a caregiver of your family members of the individual that's dying, 
um, I just realized there there's an opportunity to do better and to do more. Um, the pandemic was an interesting time because it gave us, I think, an opportunity to really discuss grief and loss at scale. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think a time before that. Look, bad things happen all the time. And there are there have been major what I like to call real shit moments in society <laughs> recently where um, you see deaths for um, sudden deaths and unprovoked deaths. And like those are loss events. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you're also seeing the pandemic for the first time. There was a bereavement multiplier study that said for every sudden COVID-19 death, nine immediate family members are impacted significantly. And you could look at that from a psychosocial, a financial, a mental, emotional health, um, stress, anxiety. Um, and, you know, we we uh, it was the time where the pandemic hit and then mental health was also skyrocketing um, in terms of support, especially within organizations and enterprises. And so I thought to myself, OK, so we have an ability to do more in a really impactful space in a time that's really challenging for individuals. You have um, trend lines where you're seeing organizations provide and support mental health um, as well as other family care benefits unlike ever before. And so I thought to myself, now is the time, now is the right time in the market to create a you know grief and loss and bereavement platform that not only supports individuals and members, but supports HR leaders and organizations that want to provide that level of support to their teams. That's brilliant. With that right timing and the, the, the big trend that you are seeing in your own experiences, and now you're saying yes to this exciting venture, were you scared, given that this is the first time you were actually stepping into a full entrepreneurship mode? Yeah, yes. I was definitely um, apprehensive um, and I knew in order to be successful, I had to find the right team members and the right advis- advisors and the right investors to make that first jump. Uh, and so when I left my VP of people job at Cognite, that first quarter was nothing but relationship development. It was talking to people about what I was trying to build, what I was trying to solve, who was going to connect me with someone who was going to help me build it. Um, you're just connecting all of these dots. And the great thing about, I would say, the Austin um, tech startup and, and ecosystem is people are very willing to help you. And, you know, we, you and I both have experience in Chicago, also a really great ecosystem. But if you look at San Francisco, New York, like you're one of a million people that need help. And so you don't sometimes get the opportunity and the access in those bigger markets to get the support that you need because um, it's just obviously it's a numbers game. But in Austin and Chicago, I feel like the the markets and the support networks for advisors and investors and thought leaders and um, even fractional work to help you get a product or an MVP off the ground, I feel like it's really good and really special. Mm-hmm. I hope people notice that. And if they've ever tried to build a company in New York or San Francisco, I haven't. Um, but I but I have had experience in Austin and it's been really supportive. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. So I took a whole I took a whole quarter. Now, financially, you have to prepare. So financially, you have to prepare that you're not going to make any money. And so obviously you save a lot of money when you're in your corporate job um, to buffer for that. And as soon as um, I quit my job, something really funny happened. I got a call from a girlfriend of mine, uh, Elise uh, Sepulveda, and she said there's a, a early stage venture group that's looking for another committee member to join. And this was right when I was also starting my own company. I thought, well, I have time. I have time to join a venture group. 
So she connected me to Andy Ambrose, who kind of leads um, the invest com- investment committee here, um, the fund Austin. And then and, and then Andy connected me to the co-founder of the fund Austin um, or the fund in general, um, the fund venture group, um, Jenny Fielding. And, you know, I I was just very excited to be able to not only build my own company as an operator from the ground up, but join this community of uh, operators and investors and other startup leaders who, A, had done it before, but then also could help me um, create my fundraising, um, you know, excellence. And so I just tapped into that network, um, got a ton of advice, um, and really utilized the community um, that the fund offered. And so and and personally, it's this incredible thing. I get to build my company, but then I also get to support and help other women founders or underrepresented founders um, get that early stage check. And early stage funding in Austin is hard harder to find. Why do you think that? Um, I would say uh, a little bit more risk averse um, in Austin. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a lot of the investors are looking for significant moments of traction um, and, uh, scale and are less likely to invest in like pre-product, pre-revenue idea founders. Um, and that's, you know, the fund, the fund Austin, we will, we're not afraid to invest in pre-revenue or pre-product or just an idea. Um, and I think that is definitely needed for a lot of early entrepreneurs and founders, um, to hit some of those milestones that they need is just some of those early checks. So how did you did it? You, you left the corporate America, you had an idea, now you s- start finding smart people join with you. How did you do that from that two years ago to now? Yeah, the team is so important. Your founding team and, and who you surround yourself can really um, make or break um, your idea. And your and I was just so fortunate to be able to bring a group of people together that were really behind the mission of what we were building, um, super impact-driven. They wanted to support people through grief and loss. And that's not a fun conversation, not a fun topic. Like, mm. you really have to have a, a high level of compassion and empathy mm-hmm. to want to be a part of a company like that. And I was lucky to have a group of people that were commercially-minded, really, really smart, um, you know, and also very impact-driven oriented people, a part of the team. And so um, that was really important, I'd say, some of those early commercial pilot partners are also really important. So, you know, having a enterprise or a mid-market company say, hey, when you build this company, we'll be, we'll sign up or we'll do a pilot. I think that's also really important. Incredible. Yeah. So we started in Q1 building a team, but then also starting to build pilot conversations so that when we did launch in Q2, we already had three or four companies that were willing to get on, test their product you know, work out the kinks um, and support their employees. And so it, um, I think those two things are really helpful mm-hmm. um, in getting it off the ground. You're such a people leader, whether it's what you do building the businesses or now collecting with our customers who definitely need the support. I think you are doing the, you know, the match of people connect the community in both ways. And I think that is one of the reasons that you can get the business off ground so fast. Thank you. And you know, HR leaders, from a community perspective, it's super interesting because you're, they're constantly being sold all of these single point solutions. Like as an HR leader, I would get an email a day, a new recruitment tool, a new benefit, a new this, a new that. And so cutting through to HR leaders is something that's really valuable and important um, because there are programs out there that can really help and change the lives of their employee groups. Mm-hmm. And I think I always came at it from this lens of death and bereavement is this gray area. 
and managers aren't really quite sure what to say. Mm-hmm. HR leaders sometimes don't have the support that they need. And so if we can just provide a layer of mm-hmm. clarity and clear support and what it is that we we can do and we can br- provide, mm-hmm. Batter Leave really has this opportunity to be the leader bereavement care program for organizations of all size, mm-hmm. all industry mm-hmm. across the U.S. And there isn't there isn't a company today that is going in to partner with organizations to build their bereavement program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 100%. I think, yeah, I think that's really important as well. Yeah. Thank you for being so encouraged, because like you said, those conversations are not fun, are not rainbow and sunshine, but those conversations need to have. And yeah. those, you know, people, those family, those amazing you know, mother and father of our own world are needed support. And I think you step into that, that step, that be the change you want to see in the world and provide that thought leader, provide that support for the community. That's incredible. Thank you. So now back to you, Kara. You know, after this point, your career seems like everything almost like always go easy-ish, smooth <laughs> from the outside. I'm curious, looking back, what are the the biggest challenging or failure moment maybe people don't yet know? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say um, when hmm, <laughs> it depends on what you measure success. How do you define success? How do you define success? Yeah, for me, success is a couple dimensions. Success to me is I'm learning, I'm growing. Um, I'm having an impact on people's lives. Um, I'm supporting other people to have an impact. Um, I get up every day with the idea that, wow, I can really change someone's life. That's a big motivator for me. And I think HR leaders in general probably intrinsically have a motivation to help people. Um, I love that. I don't want to assume, but that's amazing. (laughs) I think so. I I think so. There's different types of HR leaders, but in general, um, you know, you're working with people all day. And uh, I specifically love organizational psychology mm. and organizational design and thinking about what motivates different individuals. What is that? What yeah. motivates individuals? Yeah. So um, you, you could have financial motivation. Mm-hmm. You could have family motivation. Mm-hmm. You could have job security motivation. Mm-hmm. You could have learning and growth motivation. You could have somebody that's motivated by um, constant achievement, so reward or titles. I mean, there's all kinds of motivators. Mm-hmm. And I think they change over time depending on the life stage as well. Can I show you my perspective? Yeah. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I'm very generalizing in speaking. I think there are three types of motivators in the world. And I once again, very generalizing men yeah. and women cross culture. There are three types. Number one is exactly like you said, he actually driven by wealth, by abundance of wealth. And that's wonderful because the more money you have, the more you get to spend and create this beautiful community around you. You get to give even more. So number one is a wealth aspect. And the second is people who wanted to um, make a difference in the world. Uh, when I say different, it's not good or bad. It's me- maybe someone say, I want to make the world, everyone should recycle. Or everyone should uh, bike more. Or whatever that thing he or she focusing on. He or she want to make it a little bit different in the world. In that aspect. And the third part, um, third part I call it people go after the fame. People who are thinking about uh, an artist or singer or Oprah Winfrey, you know, the more she step into the fame, the light, the more she shine the light with the whole world. So it's a beautiful thing that when we see the our primary motivator and then we can get to share that with the whole planet. And the way how I see it, that as we are mature in the, in, the, in the life process, we now get to all three. 
In other words, someone like me, I know I'm stopping to, you know, something make a difference is very important for me. Well, I don't want to say me. Say Oprah Winfrey. I'm sure she start with say, I want to make a difference in the whole planet, right? She start her beautiful show. And is she doing that? Is she doing even more and better work of that? Now she's more famous. Now she, of course, have more abundance wealth. She can get to support all the nonprofit of the world. So is she more success in her journey? Now she got all three. Yeah. But initially, each and every one of us have one that we identify with. How does that resonate? Maybe not. No, I think it's great. I think, sure, if, if you're going to generalize, absolutely. I think there's probably micro through lines as well. 100%. Um, but I think, I think in general, I think, sure, absolutely. I think you could be motivated by one. It can also morph and evolve over time. Mm. You might, always, you know, in your 20s versus your 30s or in decades might shift as well. Or when you achieve one, um, maybe it also could be like love languages. You know, if you fill up your cup, <laughs> you know, if you fill up your cup in one, maybe you want to work on the other. Yeah. Um, and that might be... Um, um, but yeah, I think I think in general, I align with that. Yeah, totally. brilliant. Yeah. So back to the success. So you said that was your definition for success. So with that, are you successful? Yes. And then tell about tell us about the challenges in the in the process, the failure. I'm definitely successful, but I think success is very different to me five years ago than what it is today. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, I'm I'm very much motivated by impact. I'm also motivated by um, driving wealth and how wealth can impact and access to wealth and how that can impact, especially during um, hard times like grief and loss and funerals when it's really expensive to have a funeral um, and not everyone has that ability and also not everyone has paid time off so they can't even take time off work. So there's there's a lot of intrinsically linked, I think, motivators in this space for me and wanting to provide impact but also um, wealth. The wealth is part of the impact. That's right. That's so it's exactly one. right. All yeah. in a, all, even though it looked different, but it's the same. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I mean, I'm success, but I define success as um, I get up every day and I get to love what I do. And not many people get that. I love that. I think such a blessing. It is such a luxury. Such a blessing. And for yeah. me, I think the success is we all get that every single day, get to share our gift Whatever the gift is, whether it's you are people leader, you are entrepreneur, you are chef, you are uh, cutting the trees, you are growing apples, is whatever that things that give you exciting that is your gift on this planet. And we get to get in every single day, share that gift and get to create a positive impact in that way to the world is a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the challenge is, you know, every day is challenging. There's things that you can't foresee happening, like a customer um, like there's a bug in your product or a customer says now is not the right time or you're constantly hit with no's. So I don't want to I don't want to portray this like really fluffy. Everything is easy because it's not easy. But I believe that perspective is a choice mm. and what you take from those challenges and then hurdles and how you reset every day. I reset every day. So how do you reset when those moments when you got 100 no's, when you send 30 <laughs> emails on LinkedIn and your emails, no one responds. Or they yeah, like, that, Stop is that is real. That is real. That is absolutely real. How and do you I reset? secretly cry inside. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, yoga, mm. movement, meditation, mm. mindfulness, mm-hmm. breath work. Yeah. What's your, um, what's your ritual? What's your routine if you have mm. any to share? Gosh, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not. I'm not good on keeping with like like religious ritual. No, but whatever that I know. about. But you know what? I think I I like to mix up a lot of movement in different ways. If that's a run club um, with some of my dearest friends, or if that's my volleyball league with also some of my dearest friends, or if that's my yoga practice, 
Um, I try to sprinkle in. Mm. I try to sprinkle in social with movement at the same time. So then I can really get, I can get the friends and I can get the relationships and I can do that wall mm-hmm. working out or having movement. So it's actually, I try to combine those two mm-hmm. um, important mm-hmm. yeah, dimensions. I think it's important to know what charge you because it sounds mm. like you are this, uh, really this, I don't want to say uh, outgoing because I think this word is a little bit overused. But, you know, people either. You love to connecting with the loved ones and therefore also stretching and relaxing versus I know other people love to recharge alone and therefore mm-hmm. doing those wonderful movements or whatever, reading, take a walk alone, all that also wonderful as well. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Introversion and extroversion. There's a you're not one or the other. Mm-hmm. There you're always on a scale. Yes, yes. And when you lean one way or the other way, sometimes you might, you know, yeah. try to you know, there's I love reading a good book. I can sit for two hours by myself and read a good book. Yeah. Um and and so I think I think, you know, uh that flexibility is usually not commonly yeah. um talked about. Yeah. I, I feel like for me, people always see me as such a extrovert people and I think I am I do love people I loved in this big event all the fancy things but I also really really love spending time alone for me my routine is yeah. wake up in the morning the first three four hours I could not talk to human beings mm-hmm. I talked to my husband I love you so much <laughs> but you cannot talk to me before nine o'clock or ten or whatever yeah. that time is yeah and I think we should celebrate all the differences within all of us and knowing that what really do charging us, especially in entrepreneurship world where we got those all day long, we got challenges all day long and having that right balance to reset, to, you know, regroup and keep going, to sharpen that pencil, I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Speaking about mental health, speaking about how can we share our gift in a more authentic way. When we take it out of ourselves, we can take it out of others. Yeah, I totally agree. I also think doing postmortems. Um, mm-hmm. is also really important. So don't just always be moving forward. Sometimes retrospectives, postmortems, mm-hmm. um, depending if you're marketing an, an events postmortem or retrospective is like after a product, like yeah. feature delivery. So regardless, though, look and, and learn and uh, look from the past, learn from the past, and then move forward and be smarter the next day. I think yeah. um, it's with that when you reset. Um, mm-hmm. You're like, okay, I'm not just resetting to forget. I'm resetting to learn and grow, mm-hmm. and I'm smarter the next day, and I'm, and I'm going to do something different the next day. And I think that's also really important. Love that. So, Kara, what drives you? There are moments, there are challenges, there are shiny moments, they are all in above. So uh, today, what, what drives you forward? Um. Today, what drives me forward is being able to support individuals through difficult moments. Mm-hmm. That's that's what drives me forward. And being able to partner with um, diversity-led organizations who care about supporting their member bases across grief-inclusive events. So pregnancy loss, pet loss, human loss, like mm-hmm. that drives me forward every day. Um, you know, when people can say, this service changed my life or this was incredibly valuable. Oh my God, you saved me hours of time mm-hmm. so I can focus on more important things during this moment. That's that's incredible. That drives me forward every single day. So when listeners who may be in those challenges you just mentioned, how does she or he find you? Yeah, you can just come to our website, betterleave.com. You can log into our app. You can get support. We have digital tools. We have mental health providers. We have group um, coaching and, and therapy classes. So we have a lot of modalities of care. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really a choose your own adventure. Um, and you can do that however you want. So absolutely reach out. Um, you can email me. You can log into the app. We're here. Brilliant. So what's the future for Beverly and you? 
Yeah, Butterleaf is, um, you know, uh, on a, a great trajectory. We were just featured in Austin Inno's 2023 Startups to Watch among some really incredible companies. I don't know how, you know, speaking of imposter syndrome, I don't know how we made it um, because uh, we're alongside Jasper, which is the the AI-generating content tool that's raised, you know, millions of dollars. So I feel very honored. Um, we were also just featured as a top end-of-life provider with Shortlister, which is a HR um, recommendation platform. So we... We're getting there. We're, we're, we're educating the market. We're going to be seeing some more momentum this year. Um, and we can really make a difference. And, and those employer partners or organization partners, again, all sizes. You can have a team of 10, someone that's going through a death or a loss event. We can support them. And so I think um, having that access um, is going to be really important. And Butterleave is going to continue to grow and scale. And, um, yeah. Beautiful. And now this is, you know, not the the first time you're in this, you know, you're around the broad. How do you see the future regarding, do you want to have asset? Do you want IPO? Like how do you see this venture as your current passion? Absolutely. I would say also what's different from Codepilot, my first startup to now, is recruitment technology. There were dozens of, recru- hundreds of recruitment firms all doing something slightly different. So mm-hmm. the market was really saturated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was more, lended itself more to an an exit or an acquisition or an ideal versus like an IPO. Um, but I think with Batterleave, this is kind of an uncharted space. It's greenfield. So bereavement care um, is usually only typically known within hospice. And so I think there's an opportunity to be the leading provider and platform um, that can continue to grow and scale. You know, I, I IPO would be amazing, but let's be honest with that. That is um, definitely far from how we're thinking of. I'm thinking in three-year increments, not, you know, 13-year yeah. increments. But yeah. we definitely have the ability to do something um, large and at scale um, with employer partners, with health plan partners, with hospice and health system partners, um, really providing alternative methods of support during important moments. I'm really excited about potentially a clinical study where we can show that alternative methods of therapy, like even music therapy or dance therapy or things like this can really help movement, mindfulness, meditation can help um, in the process of healing and grief and loss um, and normalizing grief and and coping with grief. And so um, I think Batterleave has an opportunity to be a leader in this space in the market. Wow. Amazing. I'm so excited. Thank you for being such a leader, bringing such a light in the moment of darkness that many families are truly looking for. So thank you. Now, wow, what a journey, Kara. You come this far and do you ever think this is what you want? You mentioned earlier that you start in your your journey where your parents are both entrepreneurs. Do you always want to be entrepreneurs? And this is everything you ever wanted it. Um, I don't know. I I I don't know if I had like a, a set plan. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot of people, they they know what they're going to be. Um, I kind of let experiences shape me into mm. the next one, mm. um, as well as the people that I meet along the way. Um, you know, I think to your point, relationships um, being so important, uh, you know, with CodePilot, uh, my co-founder, I had worked with him previously a couple companies ago. And so he brought me into that journey. And with Better Leave Now, um, it's people that um, I've had experience working with or or know of in the community. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, um, I'm going to continue to shape my journey with experiences and connections that I've made and hopefully get to continue working with these people if it's now at Better Leave or if it's at the next company. Um, but I think once you find those people you really enjoy 
um, working with, um, you can you can take them and continue to have them a part of your lives in any capacity. And if it's friends, if it's colleagues that turned into friends, or if it's colleagues that you're going to take to your next company, I mean, there's a way to nurture those relationships and develop them mm-hmm. in a lots of different dimensions of your life. I love that. What do you think is your superpower, Kara? Oh, my superpower. Um, I would say. Oof, Yeah, uh, so many to choose from. No, 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 no. I'd say、um, resilience. Yeah, resilience. How so?、Um, I'll tell you a story, a funny story. I was in middle school and I was in track. M- middle, Mid- middle, middle school. I was in like elementary school. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sixth yes. grade. Thank I was you. In sixth grade, and I was running a track meet. And I was running hurdles where you have to jump over, and I I hit one, <laughs> and I completely went down. And it was like it was like the semifinal race of, and I I get dirt all over my arms and legs, and I didn't even think about it. I just instinctually got up and kept running. Oh, and I ended up placing I think like third. I qualified. But I fell and got up, and I kept going. And I I laugh at that story because I was just a little kid. I didn't have any thoughts around like grit or perseverance, perseverance or resilience or like、yeah. determination. Like I don't just that's just running.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is an indicator of、uh, my superpower. It's that no matter if I hit myself or no, no matter if I <laughs> I'm not hitting myself. But no, no, no. The point of the story is no matter what happens or pitfalls or challenges or blockers or、yeah. um, things that might keep people down, I just naturally get up.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that perseverance,、mm-hmm. and I think uh, uh, also came to light through my mom and her end of life is that. That takes a fortitude and a mental and emotional fortitude that you know it's just a must. I guess I had just、mm-hmm. we're gonna do this. We're gonna get through this. This is something we're gonna do together. And、um, you know, it's that kind of powering ahead. I think that's my superpower. Wow, what a beautiful story! I can just envisioning you like full face down the、oh, ground. Oh yeah, oh, still yeah. get that and keep going. And that instinct, that that grit, that just you know. Whatever it happened, we're gonna move forward. That that determination, that mindset, truly made you who you are today. So with that, I know I know today, Kara, not only you run your own business, but also you're part of a you know huge investment network. You also see many many entrepreneurs in the same journey, building great business as well. And many of them are in the process of raising, growing, grinding. Many of them also fall down, fall face as well. Get so many no's, so many rejections, so many never respond emails. What would you tell her, Ah? Don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep going. Keep grinding. Specifically though,、um, with tips for raising capital. Yes, please. Yeah, I think that's really important.、Um, where to start? How to do it?、Um, it's a numbers game, and it, you know, if you think about it, similar to like applying for a job, you really want to curate who you're applying to. You want to change your resume. You want to make sure it's relevant. I would say for each investor, do your due diligence. Find out what their thesis is. Other deals that they've invested in. Like, do your research. And then when you ping them, you can say, "Oh, I saw that you invested in X Y Z company in an adjacent space. This is what I do. Here's how I think you'll be relevant." I mean, personalize、mm-hmm. your ask. I think the biggest thing that I see is I just get blanket spam emails that come from like HubSpot for investor funding. I'm like, why are you sending me a templated HubSpot automated email that you probably found my email address on some list, which you can buy? Yeah. Like, just, like there's no cut through on that, and I get I get like one of those a week.、Mm. Like so that I would say, do not do that. 
Don't send blanket templated emails. Curate your responses and then also run a really efficient process. Don't just buy a list, send it out, buy a list, send it out. Like actually do your process, follow up, um, Mm -hmm. do it within a time frame that you're willing to give yourself. Because if not, you could just do this for months. You could fundraise for months and months and months and and, and nothing. But then your business suffers because Mm -hmm. you really can't run your business effectively and fundraise for months on end. Mm -hmm. So I would say- What's the right time frame then? Because for a lot of people, this is black box. I'm sorry, fundraising today, put a you know, flag on the ground. Hopefully tomorrow I get a check. We know that's not the case, right? So what's the right time frame for founder thinking about this, especially if you're her or his first time? Yeah, I would say, well, the market has definitely shifted from last year to this year as well. So you need to look at market conditions and what mm-hmm. um, investors are willing to participate in rounds. So pre-product, pre-revenue is really risky, right? Um, and so this year, I think we're seeing um, investors raising early stage rounds, but they already have proven maybe that first customer or that first product market fit or they've launched that beta. So I think we're seeing early stage funding happen with um, entrepreneurs and founders who are already going ahead and, and building their product and getting their idea off the ground versus just an idea. So I think that's really helpful because then you can kind of prove the milestones. You can prove that you have a customer, you have a proven need, you can prove your fit. Um, I think that's really helpful. Um, in terms of the process, when you find an investor that's interested in what you're doing, ask them to make an introdu- another introduction for you. Mm. Investor networks are very collaborative. That's, that's and, a tricky, though. Because yeah. if you just met the person and said, well, Carol, would you mind making an introduction for XYZ? You have to really have that connection, don't you think? Yes. It's a great question. Um, yes and no. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you're talking to someone and you get a sense that they like you like you know, they like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, like, for example, um, I might be talking to an investor and I say, hey, we're really looking for someone who has a digital health um, lens. Do you know someone um, that has a specific acute need in what I'm building? Right. And they might say, oh, actually, this person does nothing but digital tech. I'll connect you. You guys can chat. Mm-hmm. So, like, have an ask that's really specific around the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. If it's the market or go to market or commercial development or mm-hmm. maybe it's. Um, I also like to comb through LinkedIn network um, connection requests of investors and be like, oh, you know this person. I've been wanting to chat with them. So don't make them do the work. You can yeah. actually even say, would you mind introducing me to, you know, so-and-so at this company? I saw that you're connected. I think this would be a really interesting conversation. I could learn a lot. Mm-hmm. And most investors, I mean, uh, the awesome investors are totally willing to help. Yeah. And then I love what you just shared with examples because you are very intentional about it. You will not just say, okay, Kara, I'm raising. Can you... Who do you? Which, can you give me an introduction about why investor in your network? That's like no, do your own work mm-hmm. versus hey, mm-hmm. I'm looking for X Y Z person in this space, and I'm you know right now I'm trying to grow this capability. Is it exactly. anyone that right now is a different conversation versus? Can you send me an introduction? Give me a check. Like I think that is a different mentality when it comes to asking or the right ask. That's exactly right. Uh, I would also say. Crunchbase should be your best friend when mm-hmm. you're doing research. So if you want to know, you know, comb through the portfolio, um, the portfolios of investors, but then also see what size checks that they write. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you more um, times than not. Um, I'll get folks reaching out and it's not the right stage. But if they had just looked on Crunchbase, they could see like what we participate in or the size or the size of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they might have been like, oh, my deal doesn't really fit mm-hmm. in this um, network. So I'd say yeah, definitely do your research. So what are you looking for when people are reaching out to you through LinkedIn, to cold email? Do you respond to cold email and I LinkedIn? Do. You do. I do. Yeah. So cold email works. Cold email does work. And I also, for Betterleave, um, 
am fundraising and have sent several cold emails that were specific and relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might have been I saw a um, a VC on LinkedIn with a thought leadership piece. Um, and, and there's a specific one I'm thinking of where I was like, I just love this. I completely align with your process. I, you don't know me, but um, this is what I do. And here's how I think we align. And then they email me back like, absolutely. So, you know, it has to be specific. Um, yeah. It's definitely possible. I also say... As I say, cold emails work really well too with an early stage rate. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that works so much when you're raising later rounds or bigger rounds. Probably less likely to um, cold email like a Graycroft or like a Bessemer, but you could probably. But I think early stage VC like they welcome that. And I also think you're talking about access to capital at early stage is really important. And if you don't have that network and you don't have that, you know, we at the fund. Um, specifically with Fund Austin, we really try to make sure that we are investing in um, diverse and equitable founders across gender, um, across industry, across backgrounds, um, ethnicity. And, you know, those people don't always come with the same network and or have the ability to know how to get to us. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to make sure that you're you have a diverse and, and equitable portfolio, like I think you need to respond to some of those cold emails because some mm-hmm. people just might not have the mm-hmm. access to the mm-hmm. network that other people do. Brilliant. I love that. Yeah. I think it's such a fascinating journey, Kara, how you you talked about earlier, like a camouflage, right? You're shifting every day, every single moment, every task you do, whether it's from the people leader to an entrepreneur to not being an investor side. Like you do all different things. And I'm curious, how does that how does that perspective different? Was it just part of who you are now? Given that you are raising, but also you're also funding others, right? How does that come along for you? Yeah, it's it's all sort of interconnected. It's back to the the community aspect. Mm. So founders and operators, I think, are also willing to really help each other. Yeah. Um, and if that's if you're a founder operator that's investing or scaling or building operations, like they're all sort of interconnected. Yeah. And those people in that network and that community can kind of help you mm-hmm. guide that. And I think that's the power of the fund. The power of the fund is community and um, if you um, get an investment from the fund, you get access to all of this fabulous talent. Um, you get access to mm-hmm. um, other founders that are solving hard problems in different areas that might be in adjacent spaces. And maybe you need an intro mm-hmm. to an investor that this company got um, at, in this region. And so it's mm-hmm. um, it's very interconnected. And I think um, it goes hand in hand. I am a smarter founder and operator because I'm an investor. I'm a much better investor because I'm a founder operator. Yeah. You know? Wow. I see, I see that. Wow. Beautiful synergy. Yeah. So, Kara, I'm curious, today with all the journey, all the beautiful, wow, landscape that we've seen with how your life unfolds, I'm curious, what would you wish your younger self know? What would you tell her maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Oh, sure. Um, enjoy the journey. Yeah. Um, you know, these preconceived expectations that you may or may not have yeah. may or may not come true. Um, you know, I think right when I got out of college, I had a rude awakening. Um, I was sitting behind my desk and I was like, how how did I get here? I'm, I have like this desk job. How did <laughs> how, this is not me? Um, and I think my my conception or my preconceived notion when I when I graduated was. Maybe I was, you know, my dad is in landscape design and architecture and he's always outside and he's doing things with his hands. And my mom is my mom was like cooking and, you know, and so I thought I'm sitting here behind my desk. And then I realized like the value and the beauty of 
having a desk job in the in the literal sense of desk job is, you know, I get to come into this place of business and I get to create an environment and a culture and we get to operate together. And there's a lot of pros. But I think, you know, it's it's um, it's help. I'd say remove some of those preconceived expectations and notions of like what your life is and enjoy the process mm-hmm. that gets you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's not where you thought you were going to be, um, you know, just, you know, keep finding value in what you're doing in the moment that you're doing it in the, and the key is the moment, you know, don't, don't always be thinking about the next move Enjoy yeah. and be, a, and be present and be, um, and, and be learning and growing and, and, have that growth mindset in the present that you're in at the moment. So beautiful. Smell the roses, everybody. <laughs> I love that. So my last question, Kara, is, you know, with uh, we share so much about whether it's raising, whether it's, you know, invest outreach, intro and growing a business all above. I'm curious for fellow entrepreneurs who are in this process, in the grind, you know, building this amazing vision that he or she seen in their mind and no one else seeing it yet with all the amazing insight and wisdom you have. What is one or two things you wish they take away from today's session or you wish they know? Yeah, absolutely. I would say um, be intentional. Be intentional with your time. Be intentional when you're fundraising, what investors. Be intentional with um, who you hire. I would say um, be intentional, um, execute on your plan. And if your plan doesn't go accordingly, learn and grow from that and always um, be evolving what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the second thing I would have is just don't don't give up when it gets hard or you get tired, you know, set boundaries for yourself around what that looks like. Recharge, know yourself, you know, take care of yourself because Mm -hmm. the best founders and operators take care of themselves Mm -hmm. and do that and then can keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, burnout is is a real risk and and founder mental health is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. And so protect yourself, set your boundaries, set your care, and then do that for yourself. Um, And then, and then keep going. Wow. I love that, Kara. Thank you so much for being such a courageous leader. I feel whatever you do from corporate to startup to all and above, you always show up with 100% integrity, intention. You do it all. And you're being a leader to truly supporting people around you, build a beautiful community from every step along the way. And today, you know, sharing that beautiful light with some darkness that family and people maybe not even had a chance to see that. So thank you for being such a leader, such amazing light, such a change we all want to see on this planet. So thank you, Kara. Thank you. Amazing. And thank you so much, everybody, oh. for tuning today. <laughs> Hopefully you all enjoy as much as conversation, as much as I do. And I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys.